All right, well, however you turn into your scriptures, I want you to go meet to the New Testament, to the book of Titus, a very small book. So get your scriptures, however you do that, and turn there. And I want to say, I do want to say welcome to those in the room, but I also want to say welcome to those outside of the room, whether you're on your couch or whether maybe you're at the kitchen table. And I know we've got lots of folks camping this weekend, so welcome to everybody. Glad, glad you're with us. I'm excited to be with you this morning. I, I kind of feel like a kindergartner about to share it, show and tell. That's the kind of excitement I have, and we're going to talk about serving, and I know some of you hear that, you get a little nervous, because you think there's going to be people out in the foyer to directly take you to start serving with maybe in the nursery or like with a seventh grade girl, small group leader, and so I don't think that's going to happen, but I can't guarantee that, but I don't think it will, but glad you're with us, so get your scriptures, and we're going to dive in quickly this morning, and we're going to take a tour through the book of Titus. So I hope you're ready. I hope you're uh, ready to turn back and forth, but let's dive in. Titus chapter 2, let's get started at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensible, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. This treasure, this treasure of a passage is, is tucked in the middle of a personal letter from a From a spiritual father to a beloved son who is living in a crooked culture and ministering and leading to a dysfunctional church. That's the context of the book of Titus. And I want to show you more of what I'm talking about. I want you to look with me at chapter 1. That was chapter 2. We're going to go to chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few verses to help us understand fully what's happening in this letter. Titus chapter 1 verse 4 says, To Titus, my true son and a common faith. Now this is the apostle Paul. He is a spiritual father and he calls Titus not my brother, which they are. They're brothers in Christ. But he says, my true son. Don't miss this. See, Paul was a missionary and he would travel and he would meet individuals. And somewhere along his travels, he met a young man named Titus. And I believe that in their interactions, Paul helped lead Titus to faith in Jesus Christ. And after that, he discipled him and he trained him. See, he was his spiritual father. And so he says to him, my true son. So here's a question. Whether you're at the campgrounds or whether you're in the room this morning for us. Do you have spiritual children? Individuals who've come to faith in Christ Jesus because of your influence and the relationship that you have with them? Do you have spiritual children? If not, can I encourage you to to be a spiritual father, to be a spiritual mother to someone in your circle of influence? And in a crowd this size, maybe even someone watching, 
engaged with us online. There may be someone here who is a, you might refer to yourself as a seeker. You're not quite a follower of Christ. You're kind of checking all of this out. Can I encourage you, if that's you, to find a spiritual father or a spiritual mother? And so Paul says, my true, my true son. Verse 5, he says, for this reason, I left you in Crete. Now, Crete is this island in the Mediterranean Sea. And some of you may be thinking, that's not a bad place to be left. I'd like to be left there. But hold on. The Apostle Paul, a missionary, came to Crete, this island, and he preached the gospel. He started to plant churches. And then he leaves, and he says, Titus, I'm leaving you here. And this is not a place you want to be left it's not a place. This is no cakewalk being in Crete. It's more like a minefield. Matter of fact, someone said about Crete, and I'm not, not, this is not someone reporting like from Rome or someone reporting from, from Jerusalem. No, one of their very own. Listen to what he says. This is, again, chapter 1 in Titus, verse 12. Paul's telling Titus this. He says, one of them, so a fellow Crete, he says, one of them, a prophet of their own. So this is one of their own. Cretans are always, that means habitual, they're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now some of you still have Christmas and family on your mind and you're thinking, that, that's my family. <laughs> and some of us, maybe you're thinking, that, whoa, that's the crew I run with. And then maybe many of us are saying, wow, that's our culture. Liars, evilness, laziness. They, these people in this culture had such a terrible reputation. If someone were to say, hey, you're acting like a Cretan, that meant you're a liar. And this is where Paul leaves Titus. Good luck. So he leaves him here, and we find out why in verse 5 as well, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. The Apostle Paul knew that the local church was crucial for the spreading of the gospel message. And he says, Titus, I've seen you at work, I've seen your abilities, and I'm going to leave you here to help establish these churches. If you go and you read in chapter 1 of Titus, you'll see that there are people in these churches, they're rebellious, they're, they're teaching false doctrine, and it says they're turning households upside down, like they're upsetting entire families. And it's all for personal and selfish gain. If you read Titus 1, you'll see that. And so Paul leaves Titus in this crooked culture with these dysfunctional churches. And this is the setting of this book. This is the setting of this passage that we find ourselves in. And so now I want us to go back to Titus 2, the passage we read at the beginning. And I want us to walk through this together. I want you to see, I want you to notice, there's two appearings. In verse 11 of chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared. Now catch this, this is past tense. This has already happened. So let's call this the already appearing. 
This is the already appearing. And notice it's one of grace. For the grace of God has appeared. Now if we had time, I would take you to chapter 3 of Titus. Where the Apostle Paul unpacks the grace of God to Titus. And he says it's the grace of God, it's the love of God that's been poured out on us. And that has saved us, not because of anything we have done, not even our good works can save us. And he goes on, he says it's the mercy and grace of God that's been given to us in Christ Jesus so that we may, may be justified and have eternal life. This, friends, is the grace of God. And Paul says to Titus, this grace has appeared. It has appeared. And notice, though, it's a saving grace for all people. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And no, this is not an argument for universalism. Universalism is the argument that eventually everybody, from Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler, everybody will eventually be saved. But this is why context matters. In chapter 2 of this letter, the Apostle Paul, is, he's talking about older men. Can I get an amen? Older men. And he's talking about younger men. He's talking about older women and younger women. And he's talking about servants. So it's in the context of talking about all these groups that he says, For the grace of God has appeared to all people. This is a saving grace for all. It doesn't matter which gender. It doesn't matter what your occupation. It is a salvation for all people. And in our day and age, when there is so much division and hatred, this is where the people of God have a voice. Because we have a message, a saving message, a saving grace that is for all people. It's for leaders and followers. It's for blacks and whites. It's for men and women. It's for Americans and Asians. It's for the unchurched kid and the church kid. It's for the prodigal and the prodigy. It is a salvation for all people. For all people. But there's another appearing. That's the already appearing, the one of grace. There is another appearing. And let's call this one the not yet appearing. And jump with me to verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing. Here it is. And the appearing of the glory of our God, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So where the already appearing is one of grace, this second appearing, this not yet appearing, is one of glory. It's, the, it's, it's speaking of the time when Christ will return. The not yet appearing. And if I can say to everyone in this room and everyone that's engaged with us online this, how you receive the first appearing determines how you will be received at the second appearing. And you and I, we live between these two appearings. 
one of grace, one of glory, one that's past, one that's future. You and I, just as Titus, we live in between these two great appearings. And we see this. We see this in verse 12. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and in a godly manner in the present age. You and I, we live in between these two appearings. And he tells us how you and I should live in between these two appearings. We should live not towards ungodliness and worldly desires, but we should live sensibly, that means with self-control. We should live righteously, that means upright, and, and we should live godly. If you, if you were to take these characteristics, and you would go to chapter 1, and you would take those characteristics and place them against how the Christians lived, it's the exact opposite. As people of faith, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should look and act differently than the world. And many of us, we're trying to live this way by our own personal will. Like we're trying to pull up our bootstraps to be, be gooder. That's not even a word, but you get me, right? Be gooder. I'm going to be gooder. We, or we think maybe programs. But remember what's before this? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us. It is the grace of God that changes our behavior. Some of us were so busy trying to be better and good. But the Apostle Paul says you've missed it. It's the grace of God that disciples you towards godliness. It's the grace of God that drives you to live like Jesus. And so many of us just need to take a deep breath and realize, whew, I need to be thinking more of God's grace to me, for the grace of God has appeared. So you see, the first appearing, the already appearing, it drives us. It drives us, it instructs us, it disciplines us, it disciples us, it pushes us. But what about the second appearing? Well, let's look. The second appearing, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So as the first appearing drives us, the second appearing, the one that's not yet, the one that is of glory, it draws us. We're anticipating, we're looking with anticipation. So one drives us and one draws us. I read a story of a young man who was dying of cancer. And he was with his pastor and he told his pastor, he said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And obviously the pastor was a little bit confused and this young man who was dying caught that. And he said, Pastor, let me explain to you what I mean by that. He said, in my house and in my grandmother's house, after the main course was being removed from the table, he said, my grandmother would often kind of look over at me and she would say, 
keep your fork. And he said that was a reminder to me that the best was yet to come. Because a big chocolate cake was coming out. Nice, juicy apple pie. And he said, the better is yet to come. He said, so pastor, when you put me in that casket and people view my body, he said, I want them to see the fork in my right hand. And when they wonder why, pastor, I want you to tell them, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. And so like the Apostle Paul told Titus, I want to tell you this morning, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. And his name is Jesus. And so while this first appearing drives us, the second appearing draws us. I like how Tim Chester says it. He says it this way. There's both a push and a pull in Christian living. We are pushed from behind by the wonder of grace and we are pulled forward by the hope of glory. Friends, we live in between these two appearings and we do live a certain way. And before we finish, I want to look one more time at this passage, and I want you to pay special attention to verse 14 with me. So would you look with me in Titus chapter 2? Again, wherever you are, if you're engaged with us online or in this room, let's begin one more time to look at this passage, Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensible, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And here's what I want us to see. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Friends, Christ died to save us. Maybe you haven't grown up in church, and we want you to hear that loud and clear this morning. Christ died. He gave himself for us to redeem us. Christ died to save us. But notice as it says in verse 14, and. I wish I learned this earlier on in my Christian walk, but I didn't. And if you don't know this, I want to introduce it to you. It says, so yes, Christ died to save us, but notice it says, and. To purify for himself. That's, that's what we've talked about a few weeks ago. God, God, God meant to have a relationship with him. We meant to worship him. We're, we're made for God. We're, to purify for himself. A people. Last week, Pastor Sherm talked about how we are made for one another. Notice it says, for his own possession. Eager for good deeds. So yes, Christ saved, died to save you. But Christ died to make a people who were eager for good works. Christ died so that you and I would be excited, 
we would be passionate, we would be eager to serve. That's one of the reasons that Christ died for you. Not that you would sit back, but so that you would serve. Christ died so that we would be eager for good deeds. See, as we live between these two appearings, as we live between the the already and the not yet appearings, as we live in between these, we are a grace-driven, glory-drawn people, eager to live out God's love to others. We should be marked by this. We should be a people eager to serve. Christ saved us to send us. And some of you faithfully serve here within the church house. Maybe it's in the sound booth, or maybe it's in the nursery, or maybe it's leading a, a small group of boys or girls. And some of you serve outside the walls locally at Center of Hope or Beautiful Feet. Some of us serve nationally at one of our outreach par- partners in the United States. Some of you have gone globally. You have gone, you've been sent to serve. To serve. Christ died so that we would serve, just as he has served us. So what's the difference, though, this makes? I mean, what, what is the, what's the difference it makes that you and I serve? Well, I want to show you one more passage in the book of Titus. I want you to go with me to chapter 3, and I want you to see the difference that it makes when you and I live out God's love to others. At the very end of this letter, the Apostle Paul writes this to Titus. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Verse 13. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people, verse 14, must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unproductive. So what difference does it make that you and I serve? We meet people's needs. We meet people's pressing needs. Their pressing needs, whether it's a spiritual need, a material need, a physical need, When we serve, we are meeting people's pressing needs. But I want you to see this as well. Notice in verse 13 what he says. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer and Apollos, on their way so that nothing is lacking. So here's what Paul is saying. Titus, I'm sending two missionaries to Crete. And as they pass through and they continue doing missionary work, I need you to meet their needs so that they can quickly get on with sharing the gospel. And so when you and I serve, yes, we meet the pressing needs of others, but we also play a hand in helping advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. When you give to a missionary, you are helping to advance the gospel. When you teach a preschooler the message of how Jesus lived and he came and he died and he rose again for us, you are advancing the gospel. 
When you're sitting in a small group with 7th grade girls or ninth grade boys and you're listening to them and their questions that they're asking, you're playing a part in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you're in your connection group with your adult Bible study and you're having conversations about loving one another and serving one another and serving others, you are helping to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died so that we would be a people eager to serve. So I have two steps for you this morning. First, I want to say thank you. I'm looking around this room, and I'm sure there's some engaged online. Many of you are already serving. And as Pastor Sherm last, said last week, I want to say this week, we hold you in high regard. Maybe you're trying to figure out where your place is, and we want to help you find your place. We want to help you find your place. You can do that by talking with our serve pastor. I mean, we, we actually have a serve pastor because we so want to be marked by people who serve. And so Pastor Stephen will be out in the Connection Center. He would love to meet with you and, and talk with you. And I, I'm pretty certain he's not going to throw you in the nursery today, okay? So just relax. So he's out in the Connection Center ready to receive you. Or you can also text SERVE to our church phone number, 817-441-7477. But find your place so that you can help meet the pressing needs of others and play a part in advancing the great gospel message of Jesus Christ that saved us so that you and I would be a people eager to do good works. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Our great God and loving Father, Father, first, I do want to thank you for the servant leaders, the volunteers that are engaged with us in this room or those watching online. We, we thank you for them, how they've said yes to serving others. But Father, we also want to say thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserved and rose again so that we could be reconciled to you. Father, help us understand that he died so that we would be eager to serve. And so, Father, for those who maybe are hesitant to serve because of fear or uncertainty, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remove those concerns and you would encourage them and, and give them boldness that they would take that next step to be ready to help meet the needs of others and ultimately advance the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us and has redeemed us and has set us apart to serve. May we love others as you have loved us. And we pray this in the great name of our King Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning as we sing? If you're looking to serve and worship at Trinity, there are three different ways that you can get plugged in. One is serving on our audio-visual team. We need help with everything from running lyrics to running lights to running sound on Sunday mornings. If you're interested in that, you can email worshippastor at trinitybible.com. 
Number two is serving on the worship team. If you're a musician or a singer and you want to be a part, you can email worshipauditions at trinitybible.com. And number three is simply joining in the culture of worship. And it's not just something that we do on Sunday mornings to perform. It's all of us singing together and joining together in worship as a church. So we need you to join in participating in worship. We look to the example of the early church who devoted themselves to gathering both in and outside the walls of the church to get into God's word, to share meals and life together, and build a relational community with fellow believers. The primary track for connection here at TBC is through connection groups and our adult Bible studies. Connection groups are groups that meet during the week in homes all throughout Parker County. These are designed for people to get around the table or in the living room and share life with one another. Our adult Bible studies meet on Sunday mornings on our TBC campus. These are designed to help our people be equipped and grow in the knowledge of God's Word, as well as connect with others around them. Getting involved and serve at Trinity means that you are regularly serving in a ministry and are finding a way to get involved in serving in the local community. There are a number of serving opportunities available. Do you want to work with people and pour into the lives of others? Or would you prefer to work behind the scenes? If you're busy on Sundays, then maybe consider serving during the week instead. There are many serving opportunities available and God has equipped you and called you to serve in one of those areas as a part of the body of Christ here at TBC. Our desire is to see disciples that make disciples through mentoring. We have men mentoring men and women mentoring women to help the individuals grow in their spiritual maturity. The Multiply Ministry is also about learning how to engage and have gospel conversations with the people you're around daily. Now you can do this through our Trinity U program, which is designed to educate and equip you so you can confidently engage the world around you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then finally, one of the distinctives of our church is supporting TBC's outreach partners in North America and to the ends of the earth. You can be part of this by praying, giving, or going. You can pray for our outreach partners that they would fulfill God's calling in their lives. You can give to financially support their mission. You can also go on a short-term mission trip and serve one of our outreach partners. So be a part of what God is doing at TBC and join the mission. 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 That was a great message from Eric as we think about serve and what it means here at TBC. As you just saw in our video, we're inviting our entire church body to join the mission, to pick their one next step as we think about how each of us is growing and living out these four main areas, these pillars of our church, as we all seek to worship, connect, serve, and multiply. So I invite you right now to pull out your phones and to text the word JOIN to our church's phone number, and you'll actually see some options for some next steps in terms of how our church body can take next steps together. So I invite you to pray about that, to look at that, to fill that out, and to take your one next step as we seek to, as a church, be a church that worships, connects, serves, and multiplies. Thank you again for joining us this week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.